name of the living God, Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. My microphone's on now. <laughs> Three people were like, microphone's not on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, my name is Justin Holcomb. Uh, many of you know that I'm the new bishop, but some guests might be here. Uh, normally, Dean Reggie Kidd would be here. He's not feeling well, so I have the privilege of being able to be here this morning. I was teaching the Dean's Hour, and so felt like it would be fun to join in worship. Um, we're going to be looking at the gospel passage, but before we dive into that text, I want to tell you that my parents, three days ago, celebrated their 50th anniversary. That's, uh, one person started clapping. Was, you can go for it if you want to. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> you started clapping and realized no one else was clapping, and you're like, yikes. <laughs> so. But to, to make it 50 years, you need a few things to make it to 50 years. There's at least two things I know you need to make it that long, which is to be fully known and truly loved, both at the same time. Think about this, because if you're loved, but they don't know you, it's not really that impressive. They like, they like some version that they have of you, but not really you, because they don't know you. That's superficial. It might be comforting for a little bit, but it feels superficial that they have all these words of love, but there's no knowledge of who you actually are. So superficial is one option. Or they can really know you and cringe and not love you, which is our greatest fear, that you would be known and vulnerable but they would turn away in disgust and not love you. No relationship can handle one or the other. For a relationship to work, you need both. That's true for marriage, but that's just true for relationships in general. Think of one of your best friends. They know you and they love you. This is how friendships work, being known and loved. To be fully known and loved is what we need more than anything else. And it's not, I'm not here to give you marriage and friend tips. This is how God responds to you. God fully knows you. You are fully known by God and truly loved by him. And that changes everything. You want proof on it? We'll start with Jesus. Fully knowing he says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that's what defiles. Defiles, by the way, is really strong language. It means worthy of judgment, guilt, um, you're ritually unclean. I mean, here the Pharisees are sitting around arguing about how many times you wash your hands, and he's going, are you serious? You're going to talk about dirty hands when what's inside is really the problem? For what comes for out of the heart... Jesus says, come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus is exploding the popular mantra of follow your heart. If you follow your heart, uh, it's going to be a mess. Uh, Keats says, 
I am certain of nothing but the holiness of the heart's affections. That's the other direction of Jesus. Jesus is saying what comes out of the heart is what defiles, and here's the list. And then you have Keats saying, follow your heart. I, I, I'm convinced of nothing else except the holiness of the heart's affections. Those are two completely opposite directions. And Jesus is going completely opposite, saying that the problem is not the holiness of your affections, but the fact that your hearts are actually defiled. It's way deeper than the Pharisees and Keats were suggesting. And the heart in the Bible is the core of who we are. It's our mind. It's our will. It's our emotions. Our core problem is what resides in our affections and in our heart. Human nature is ruled by whatever rules the human heart. Ashley Knoll, who is a Thomas Cranmer scholar. Cranmer is the Archbishop of Canterbury who architected the prayer book that we use. Something that's fascinating about our prayer book, I hope you can, you know, never unsee this. Pay attention to how many times the word heart is used in our liturgy. It's all over the place. It's the red thread throughout our entire liturgy of the heart. So, Ashley Knoll, summarizing Cranmer and on the heart says, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. That's an Anglican view of the human heart. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. On its own, the human heart naturally loves itself more than God and other people. And then the will chooses those things which make us feel good, and then the mind rationalizes what we just did. Sounds like it's reading my diary. Uh, I mean, that, that's the problem, is I respond out of my impulses and my affections. I act on them, and then after it's all done, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't blame you, Justin? You were hungry. You were angry. You were lonely. You were tired. Of course you're going to make those decisions in those settings. I can find a way to rationalize almost anything, and you're probably like me. And if we're honest, Jesus' description, not Keats, better fits our experience of ourselves and the world around us. A few decades ago in London, the Times newspaper was doing a, a correspondence with major thinkers in uh, England to answer the question, what's wrong with the world? They were getting some great cultural commentary, brilliant things about politics and education and all those types of things. And then they got a letter that stopped the correspondence because it stopped the conversation dead in its tracks. It was from G.K. Chesterton, Catholic journalist, who said, Dear Sir, to answer your question, what is wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> stop, what he was saying, stop pointing everywhere else. Yes, there are structural problems. Absolutely, there's problems out there. Because there's a lot of people out there with distorted hearts running these things. I'm the problem. We are the problem. Our biggest problem is ourselves. We are what's wrong with the world. And so being fully known, Jesus is saying, I'm reading your mail. I'm reading your hearts and desires. I know what's in there. 
If we're not loved after that diagnosis, that should drive you to fear. It's one reason why people leave the church, because that's all they get. You're a sinner, fix it. And then they realize you can't do that. That's going to lead you to despair. But think about this. It's exhausting, isn't it? I'm 49. There are things I should have stopped doing, saying, or wanting to do when I was 29 or 39. And so there's an exhausting thing about the same things popping out of our heart, turning into words, thoughts, and actions that should have been done years, if not decades ago. So we all have that lingering thing or things that emerge. And maybe for you, it's not that same thing from 30 years ago that's still there. Maybe it was a doozy. Maybe it's not a bunch of things. Maybe it's something that you think to yourself, I can't believe I did that. I mean, just look at his list. Crushing shame is what can come from that. Like, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I think doing that to that person, saying that, would even be a good idea? So maybe it's a lot of smaller things. I'm not trying to grade sin, but lots of things that were kind of lingering throughout your life. Maybe it was a doozy. Here's the really bad news. Calvin says the heart is an idol factory. It's going to make up new stuff today and in the future. There's more things you're going to be repenting of that you haven't even done yet that weren't in the past, and it's not a doozy. And so it's in the past, it's right now, it's in the future. The human heart is an idol factory. If we leave it there, you are left with sheer resignation and despair. That's why I appreciate St. Paul in Romans 7. He seems completely exasperated. Listen to him. And he's writing to a bunch of Christians in Rome, which I love. I mean, this is, he's not talking to his buddy over a beer. He's writing as an apostle to Christians. Why do I do what I don't want to do? Why do I keep on doing that? And the things I want to do, I don't even do them. And what's the response to that? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? If we leave Jesus' statement only there, it will lead to despair. Now, that despair can be helpful if we sit in it for a little bit. That, that despair can be a gift because it will rid us of our confidence in ourselves to fix ourselves. And it highlights the need for a rescue Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Paul's not asking for advice on creating habits that will shape his heart. That does happen. Do habits that shape your heart. But Paul is not saying, I have a body of death. What habits do I need? He's saying, who's going to rescue me? I need something to break in to my situation and invade the darkness that's there. And this is where we need to hear the news that you are truly loved. You're you're fully known by God. The best news is that you are also truly loved. This is what Paul says, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now, right now, not in the future, right now, 
there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you got lingering sin, you got a doozy, if you're afraid of your future self and what you're going to do, there is now and never will be any condemnation for you if you're in Christ. That's because God took all of his no, all of his judgment, all of his condemnation and he, that you and I deserve, and he gave it, put it on Christ, and Christ willingly, happily took it. He laid down his life. It wasn't an accident. The Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit had a plan from all eternity. I'm going to wring out all of my judgment and no and condemnation on you, Christ. And he said, I want to do that for them. So there's no more no at all for you if you're in Christ. There is no judgment. There's only yes, adoption into the family of God, acceptance, blessing, favor, mercy, and grace. There's no more no left for you. He didn't reserve a few drops just for you because you're particularly messed up. There's no more no. All that's left is God's consistent, faithful, unconditional love and favor. He's not tolerating you. He loves you. And God loving you is how the Bible talks. Jesus told us, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. It was out of love, not frustration. Love is what compelled him. Romans 5.8 is exactly the news we need to hear after hearing Jesus diagnose our problem. God shows his love for us and that while we are, were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was treated, and this is the scandal, we had the defiled desires and actions, but Jesus was treated like he was defiled so we could be forgiven and declared pure, perfect, and righteous. God loves you despite all the reasons you can imagine why he wouldn't. God loves you despite all the reasons you can imagine that he would not. You are fully known and fully, truly loved by God at the same time. <laughs> and he doesn't stop there. He's committed to changing you from the inside out. He knows you, he loves you, but he's going to free you. You're not just getting pardon, you're getting renewal. You're not just getting solace, you're also getting strength. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, do that in about 10 minutes, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. What do defiled hearts need? Cleansing. He gives us new hearts. Our liturgy every Sunday starts with this amazing colic. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. I would love for the rest of your life when you come to worship, that first sentence you realize God fully knows me and he doesn't cringe. Because the next line's the good news. 
cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. He's not saying, well, cleanse your hearts. We're asking him to cleanse our hearts. Give us new hearts. I have great news for you. You're not only forgiven, you're new. You have a new heart, new mind, new loves, new dispositions. You are genuinely new. You're not completely new. That happens in glory. But you are genuinely new. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Why? So that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. It seems that God has a strategy. And his strategy of capturing your affections, your heart for him, isn't to lecture you or threaten you, but to promise his unconditional love to you. The only way out of this circle of sin and self-centeredness is to discover a new and stronger love that rules, a love for God instead of a love for self. And so he loves us so much that we get our eyes fixed off of ourselves and onto him. What's going to make a, a, a stronger love? Is guilt going to make you love him? Is threat, is fear, or shame, or pride, or threat of condemnation? No. That's not how that works. Only the unconditional love of God made known to us an unmerited free salvation and acceptance. Only the promise of unmerited love, grace, forgiveness could ever enable a human heart to begin to love God more than sin. I want to close with a story of uh, nighttime liturgy that I've done with my daughters for years. I did not make this up. It came from Andy Crouch, um, who, with some other people, kind of created this nighttime liturgy. Some local pastor friends and I added some things to it, so I tinkered with it, but uh, it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's not mine. So, but this is what I do with my daughters. I encourage you to do this if you can with someone. I say, can you see my eyes? Yes. Can you see that I can see your eyes? Yes. I'm just establishing, you see me, I see you, I know you. Do you know that I love you? Yes. Why do I love you? Because I'm your daughter and you're my dad. Do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do or accomplish? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you have done or ever could do? Yes. Who else loves you like that? God. More than me? Yes. Rest in that love. That's it. That liturgy came from a man who knows that God knows him and truly loves him. And he was a recipient of that amazing love. And he wanted to create little ways to give that to other people. In Christ, God loves you like that. He truly knows you. He truly loves you. He's going to change you. Rest in that love. Amen.